No, don't do that, dude. Don't, dude, hold on, hold on. You are listening to Mars Attacks podcast, a member of Talking Metal Digital and the Cast Iron Ring. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Dolo Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Master Text Radio. I wish you a great time, rock on, and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udo Dutzlader of UDO, and you're listening to Master Text. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on BH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Crank it. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winnorp of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Flushman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Let's do it! A little Doro Pesh to kick things off on episode 85 of the Mars Attacks podcast. For those of you that don't know, my name is Victor, Victor M. Ruiz to be precise. And this week's episode, which is delayed, uh, I will get to that in a second, but What I want to mention before I forget is this is going to be more or less an episode centered on KISS, the whole Hall of Fame thing. There are bits and pieces of this that were recorded back on February 28th. So this is going back like two weeks. Uh, some Some things have escalated since this was originally recorded, but because a lot of people were asking me, you know, what's going to happen to that Talking Metal Live episode that you and Mark recorded on the 28th? I didn't get to hear it live. I want to hear what you guys talked about. I know you guys talked about KISS, so it's coming out as a Mars Attacks episode. Uh, There were other events that have taken place since that uh, probably supersede the, the, the whole KISS thing. So 
that is why we've sort of, as I shut my phone off here, uh, we've decided to um, release this as a Mars Attacks episode. And it sort of goes hand in hand with one another. Because what I did with this episode, you'll hear there's Z-Man. He used to be a big-time poster on the Talking Metal forums. He's going to discuss the whole KISS Rock and Roll Hall of Fame debauchery with me. Debacle, probably better word. Uh, we also have Chris from the Decibel Geek podcast, Chris Simzak. <laughs> I ho- hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly. And we have Mark Striegel from that specific episode that we're talking about that um, that didn't come out previously. So we're going to have a good, nice, long episode of Mars Attacks for you. It's probably going to run about an hour and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood and we'll get to the three different speaking segments regarding that this episode the reason that it was delayed is because i actually lost my job last week like a lot of other people the economy has reared its ugly head and unfortunately for the first time in close to nine years i got to look for a new place to work So, uh, last week everything was in disarray. I really wanted to get this together and get this out there as soon as I possibly could. Unfortunately, due to one thing or another, you know, I just wasn't able to to make that happen. So I do apologize for the long break between episodes. Uh, Hopefully what this will do is give me time to put out you know, at least one episode of uh, Mars Attacks a week. That's at least the plan. May end up doing an episode of my other podcast, The Incoherent Ramblings of Victor M. Ruiz. May do that more frequently as well, sort of bitching and complaining about what's going on with my job search and everything else, Uh, what's going on with my health, if anyone is interested. So... Uh, the plan is to record an episode of that this week. I'm I'm still employed until the 24th. And then after that, I have uh, sort of mandatory vacation for the, the there are five days of vacation that were rode to me. So we'll take that. And then we got to hit the good old unemployment line. So um, now is a good time to go to that donate button right there on the home page and donate whatever you can. I'm actually using a friend of mine, Shure SM7B microphone. He's offered to sell it to me used, and I've actually got to make some money to actually pay for the mic. (laughs) Now, whether uh, I can raise the money doing odd jobs or whatnot within the next few weeks, I will buy the mic off of him or not, or I'll hold off and... Uh, the mic's actually che- a lot cheaper in the States. Cost half as much brand new over there than it does here. I mean, it's almost 400 euros here. And if you do the conversion, it's 202 euros. Actually, probably cheaper now with things being all out of whack with Russia and Crimea and all that stuff. So, little Mars Attacks economics there. But, uh, yeah, if you're interested, go to 
the donate button right there on the home page anything that you can anything that uh that you donate will go right back into the show we'll go into purchasing this mic <laughs> initially and then after that we'll see have a lot of decisions to make what we're going to you know what we got to cut back on because the the last time that I was sort of you know had hours cut back or whatever I I did have another part-time job where I was able to go to uh that job dried up because they wanted me to commit to uh the same job this time around and I was working full-time and they wouldn't allow me the time off to work part-time at the other job so you know it is what it is so yeah and if you don't want to donate money but want another way to help me out you can always use the amazon links that you'll find in the show notes to purchase a cd by one of the artists mentioned or by one of the uh, tracks that were played so far we had doro from her 1990 self-titled solo album which coincidentally was produced by gene simmons the track was written by Gene Simmons. If you look up on YouTube, you can find the demo to Something Wicked This Way Comes with Gene Simmons singing, playing bass, and oh yeah, Tommy Thayer on guitar. So yes, going all the way back to hmm, almost 24 years ago, you had Tommy Thayer doing demos with Gene Simmons, so there you go, and playing on a Doro Pesh album that uh, Gene Simmons did produce. Doro Pesh, coincidentally, will have some pretty cool comments regarding working with Gene in the Classic Albums series. We're looking to fire that up. Uh, hopefully, next month, we may just do four episodes back-to-back where it's just Classic Albums, and, you know, people... People, it's funny, through Talking Metal, people that have heard, you know, me discuss stuff with Mark and John have uh, have been writing me. I've been receiving two to three messages a week. Hey, you know, always heard Mark talk about Mars Attacks, never checked it out. But once I started hearing you on Talking Metal, I thought it was really cool and have gone back and started checking out all of your episodes and wow you know this classic album series really sticks out it's so cool to hear other people's opinions on albums uh and it's funny some people complain oh you know i don't appreciate that so-and-so said that they really didn't care for iron maiden um or the opposite you know hey i really don't care for such and such and such an artist myself you know i'm glad that you know you sort of keep things fair where all types of opinions are voiced. And, and that's sort of what I've always said about that classic album series is that I don't want everything to be, you know, rainbows and sunshine. We have enough magazines and sites out there that are going to, you know, kiss people's ass to no extent. And then it turns out that, you know, what's the point in us doing the same thing here with this podcast? Um, some of the albums that are picked are to sort of stir the pot others are great albums that i think do deserve some attention that maybe nowadays they don't receive the attention they deserve because a specific album overshadows it or whatever pantera being an excellent case of that uh where people pointing to vulgar display and 
forgetting about Far Beyond Driven, but if you listen to that episode, the first album that was that heavy to go number one in the sound scan era. So that has a lot to say for, you know, that album. And also, you know, 90s metal sucks, man. It's just so bad. Oh, yeah, well, that's when sort of Pantera rose to their prominence. You know, there are so many great albums that came out in the 90s. That's one example of a great album that did come out then. So, uh, anyway, also want to remind you guys to go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave us your comments there. That's the only way that I can get some sort of sponsorship going. You know, I would appreciate if you guys could lend a hand if you do dig the episodes. Uh, check that out. Check out the Friday night shows we do on Talking Metal Digital Live. Uh, as you'll hear me and Mark discuss later on in the episode, the shows that Mark and I do will sort of evolve onto something of itself. We haven't come up with a name yet. We sort of kick around the name uh, that we mentioned during this episode that you'll hear. And that should be cool. You know, just check out everything that we have coming up with Talking Metal Digital. We're working diligently to bring another new show on board. At the moment, we are My Mars Attacks Podcast, Talking Metal, Talking Rock, and there are a few other things in the woodworks which I think will please a lot of people. And outside of that, there will be this show that me and Mark are doing on Friday nights that after they're recorded, uh, if the software cooperates, we'll release it as a podcast afterwards. Like what you'll hear with the last 40 minutes or so of this episode. So, uh, what else? Support us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. Find us on Twitter. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. Leave us your comments. Tell your friends about us. Send us your feedback. Input at MarsAttacksRadio.com. And what else? In any event, if you, if you want to find out any of the Twitter or Facebook links, just go to the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com. Also, remember to support what we do on Talking Metal Digital. We do have a great kick-ass uh, station that I help program, actually. And that... Um, I'm typing something in to look something up that I'm about to mention in a second. But, uh, yeah, go to... If you, if you have the Live 365 phone app installed, go to... Um, I believe you can now search by uh, Talking Metal. If not, it's uh, live365.com forward slash Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L, one, two, three. Or you can listen to the stream right off of MarsAttacksRadio.com. We have a player right there. And uh, also remember the Cast Iron Ring, which is also another network of podcasts that I'm associated to with Wiki Metal. You have Radioactive Metal. You have Iron City Rocks. You have Heavy Metal Book Club. You have Signal to Noise. You also have the Wicked Ways uh, radio show. Bonehand Half Hour. You have Bob Nelbandian's various shows, Couch of Metal. You have uh, HardRadio.com. 
And you have, let's see. Oh, I don't see it listed. Oh, no, there it is. There it is. I know that there's some questions surrounding whether this podcast would continue or not, but the uh, Shockwave Skull Sessions, or Skull sh- I feel like Jerry Seinfeld's with the salsa thing. Sasha, salsa and seltzer. There you go. I always have my wife say that to see if it trips her up. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> what else do we have on tap here? Oh, and we have Focus on Metal. Next Mars Attacks at, uh, episode, episode 86, we'll have Scott from Focus on Metal sort of continuing this discussion. I will also have Vinny Apice, who was just recently left Kill Devil Hill, formerly of Black Sabbath, Dio, so on and so forth, uh, did that interview live. And we may have a surprise for you guys for later this week if you want to hear the episode streaming or if you want to hear the interview streaming. Just keep tabs on uh, the Facebook page where we will announce that. Let's just say it is a member, a prominent member of a big four band that will be joining me. And anyway... Let's get things underway here. And this is going to be a little different than usual because there are going to be three three separate segments here with um, uh, three different people discussing more or less the same subject. Uh, we're going to try to thread everything together based on how the episode was set up or how the live radio show was actually set up um, the night that we did this specific episode. So um, here we go. This is going to be Gene Simmons coming off of his asshole solo album. This is Sweet and Dirty Love. And after that, we'll get into the segment with Z-Man. Little Gene Simmons coming off of Asshole, that's Sweet and Dirty Love, a song, I don't know, is that a tribute to Queen there? Because that riff, the drum pattern sounds a hell of a lot like uh, Queen to me. Anyway, on the phone, we have our good old friend Z-Man checking in all the way from California. How are you, Z-Man? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Vic? 
Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. We've been um, all checking in and um, talking about all the various, you know, different things going on with KISS and the Hall of Fame and, you know, everyone has their opinion. Some people a little bit more belligerent than others or maybe a little bit more close-minded than others. Uh, I tried to pose the whole, if Iron Maiden got into the Hall of Fame thing yesterday, sort of... You know, putting a carrot in front of a few people because yeah. I sort of felt that, you know, when you mention Maiden, they're going to say, oh, everyone should go in. But so if with Maiden, if everyone should go in, why shouldn't that be the case with Kiss then? Exactly. Exactly. First off, I mean, it's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, really, the joke to begin with. Uh, I mean, if you, if you put Peter and, and uh, Ace in, you got to put the other guys in. I mean, who, who's made the band since then? You know, I mean, look at Gene and Paul. Everybody gets mad at them because, oh, you know, Gene, they're terrible. Well, who made the band what it is? I mean, Gene and Paul took it to the next level, I think. You know, I mean, they got they own the band. They do what they want to do. But Right. I, you know, I think that people, people don't realize that in the end, when a band gets so big and successful, it becomes a business. It becomes a brand. And, you know, if you work that hard to get somewhere... You know, who, who, regardless whether the fans are there or not, you know, who's anyone to tell you how to run your own business? That's sort yeah, it, of, you know, where I'm trying to come from. No, it, it's exactly it. It's the business. I mean, they're, they're there to, that's their job. That's what they're doing, basically. You know, I mean, if, if I w- want, you know, they're not going to do what I say. I mean, I'm just a fan. You know, it's, it's their, their entity. It's their little world. I mean, they're not going to do, you know, oh, we should put the four guys in, only those four guys, because, you know, D-Man said so. No, it's not me. You know, of course, I, I could be upset because, you know, not everybody gets in or whatever, but it's what they want to do. And it, people just have to accept it. It is what it is. Right, right, right. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's, I mean, a lot of it goes back to the whole makeup thing. But, you know, I think if, if you look back at things, and this is going to come up throughout this episode and later on when, when I talked to Mark in about an hour, if Gene and Paul had owned Peter and Ace's trademark makeup, the um, Spaceman and, and the Catman, would we have ever seen the Fox and the Wizard or Ankh Warrior, whatever the hell Vinnie Vincent was? You know, yeah. I, I think this would have been a you know moot issue thirty years ago. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I agree with Gene, with you, kids. you know, I mean, everybody's mad that they're not playing, but why, why, okay, the, the, rock, the rock and Roll Hall of Fame is saying, okay, hey, we're just going to honor you four. Well, what about the other guys that took it to the next level? Why can't they be honored? So if Rock and Roll is not going to honor them, you know, I mean, it, it, they, they should be honored. They, it, it just gets me, I mean, it's like you said, people, I think, the most people are closed-minded, they just want to think, okay, Kiss was just the four members, that's it. But, you know, right. it's not the way it is. Right. And the thing, uh, our, our good buddy Chief there was saying, well, you know, Mark St. John shouldn't shouldn't make it. Well, Mark St. John played on Heavens on Fire. That song yeah. was played to death on MTV back in the day. <laughs> um, oh, yes. And Animalize, if you look at it, I was looking at the stats yesterday. It outsold both Creatures of the Night and Lick It Up originally when they first came out, before the SoundScan era. 
um, came about. Uh, after the SoundScan era came about, Creatures overtook both of those albums, but Animalize initially sold 2 million copies and to date has sold about 10,000 more copies within the SoundScan era than Lick It Up. So, I mean, that, that's another thing. A lot of people want to attribute, I think, the band's success to Vinnie Vincent saving the band, when I honestly think MTV saved the band because they got airplay with Mark St. John in the band, they got yep. a ton of airplay with Bruce Kulick in the band. So to say that one guy, you know, oh, well, Vinnie's the guy. Well, what has Vinny done since? What is yeah. <laughs> it, it's sort of the same thing with Peter Chris? You know, you read his book, you know, and, and it would make you think that the guy's selling out the garden, you know, every other year. Yeah. And yeah. if that if that were the case, if he were the only reason that Kiss was big, I'm not saying he wasn't important, but if he's the only reason, then you know, I don't know. I I gotta I gotta. Uh, sort of go back to Janet Jackson uh, and say, you know, what have you done for me lately, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I agree. You know, I mean, uh, I think MTV played a huge part in making kids, you know, take it to the next level, you know, after the makeup. Uh, right. If there was an MTV, would they be a big? Probably, maybe, I don't know. But it's like you said, you can't say, oh, it's just because this guy. You know, it, 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 it's wrong. I think it's a it's a little bit of um, them being in the right place at the right time, you know. Oh yeah. Um, MTV needed content, and they had the foresight to say, "Well, you know what? We're going to give you two to three videos per album. We're going to put out a great hit to give you two more videos, and we're going to continue to, you know, uh, get our name out there, and you know." Up until the early 90s, I mean, really, they, they were on dial MTV every day. They had, you know, videos on the air constantly. And even when that went away and they started going more towards, you know, rap and started introducing um, reality programming, Headbangers Ball still had, you know, um, tracks off of Revenge. And yeah. Alive 3 had come out, so they were playing stuff off of that as well. I forget what video they had for... I think was I Love It Loud was the video they were promoting for that. But they were constantly on MTV. Now, um, I, th I think it's sort of dumb to look back and say, all right, and not realize, okay, yeah, the original four was a big boost, but it's like any other novelty. At first, you know, everyone wants to go. Everyone wants to see it. Uh, yep. Also, for people that say, you know, Kiss was dead at that point. Are you serious? Kiss would have never, they would have never gone to play large theaters. They would have never, you know, people say, well, they did the conventions. Well, they did the conventions because other people were making money off of their name. Exactly, so, so why not? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think a lot of people have selective, um, you know, uh, memory or like to create their own history and, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think they like to create their own stuff. What, what are the uh, Bergdorf sandals they're called, which are famous from a certain area in California? <laughs> <laughs> Can't say so, what is anyway, it. 
Uh, um, any parting words from Z-Man uh, regarding this in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know, I'm glad they finally made it, you know, but again, I really can care less. And, you know, hey, Gina Paul, you own the band, you own the name, you can do what you want. I'm happy with whatever you do. It doesn't affect me either way. So, you know, don't be closed-minded. You so-and-so's out there, you know who you are. And, and and one last thing to Donnie G, dude, really? Bring your bring your plug with you or get home early. Quit drinking. Because now you uh, missed your call. Me. He's he's gonna he's gonna love to hear that. Hopefully we can get him back on uh, uh, later yeah. on and get his opinion because he is um uh he's a good guy. He, he's, he's a good guy. He's one he's he's one of those guys that's guy he he's he's dedicated to the original four. Yes, yes. But he he, he is definitely a uh a good guy, so we all yeah. love Donnie. He's a, he's an OG like us. There you go. Uh, we're going to get into a track off of Hotter Than Hell that Ace wrote and Peter sings and Megadeth covered later on. This is Strange Ways.
Peter Chris on lead vocals and drums, obviously. Ace Freely on lead guitar. Uh, Ace Freely there wrote that track. For those of you that are not guitar player ignoramuses and can answer this for me, what effect, what is Ace doing with that solo? Is he inverting something to, is that like an inverted wah-wah? What, what is that? I apologize. I have a bunch of gear, but um, I'm an ignoramus when it comes to all these things. I remember years ago interviewing Bumblefoot and hearing the song Meat and hearing just the different you know, notes he was hitting and just being too stupid to realize that that was a, <laughs> that that was a whammy pedal. Till I got one myself. And I started playing around and then said, oh yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so, there you go. If anyone can tell me what, um, what effect Ace is using there. He actually uses it on... On another track on The Elder, which slips my mind right now. It's the same sort of soloing sound. So if you can answer that for me, maybe I can send you some CDs. Got a pile of CDs here that I've had for giveaways for the longest time that uh, I'd like to give away. So if you know what that is, hit me up either on the Facebook page that is facebook.com forward slash marsattacksradio.com uh, or send me a message to the Mars Attacks email, input at marsattacksradio.com and I will foot the bill to send you a bunch of different CDs. Whether you use them as Frisbees or not or whether you actually listen to them, it's a different story. Or coasters maybe. Who knows? Whatever. Whatever you want to do with the CDs once they're in your hand is fine. Anyway, up next, Chris Simzak. I'm neither from Wisconsin nor am I drunk, so I cannot pronounce this properly, as he will say in a second. There's a lot of off-air banter that went on before we recorded this that we can't we can't add because we'd probably get sued by someone whose real initials are are VC who wanted to be known as McFury because there's some trash talking going on. So there you go. Would be cool. I mean, I I had a, uh, a lot of fun with Chris, I had a lot of fun with Scott from Focus on Metal as well and Z-Man and always have a blast with Mark. It is so much easier for me to do a show with someone else as opposed to me just yammering away here. Um, Probably the the hardest thing is to edit back, you know, when you're just listening to yourself. When you got someone else to to go off of and, you know, sort of get feedback and and whatnot, it's, it's it's always a good thing. So, uh, anyway, would be cool to be able to do more stuff with, with Chris. And, uh, you know, I do enjoy what they do for Decibel Geek. Um, just throwing this out there, I have no official say in it. But if, the, if there were something that could be exclusive to Talking Metal Digital, who knows? Maybe I could help, uh, you know, talk to the powers that be and... 
maybe help things happen. But um, I'm not a decision maker. I'm only the messenger here. And not that anyone has told me that, but, I mean, I think what Decibel Geek does is great, but they are on 50,000 networks, (laughs) which is cool for them um, because it does get their name out there. And I think what we want to do more with Talking Metal is to make something that's exclusive so that people actually have to come and subscribe to us and listen to what we have to offer. Uh, if it's on a bunch of different places, it's it sort of defeats the purpose of starting up a network. And yes, call me hypocritical because I'm on the uh, cast iron ring. But uh, yes, I'm only on one other network. So, not I'm not pointing any fingers, not chastising anyone. Just throwing that out there. Just rambling, basically. Anyway, uh, let's see. Let's get into a little Peter Chris. As I said before, I'm filling in the blanks with what I played during the live show so that it all makes sense with my comments, if my comments do make sense. When Chris comes in. So this is Peter Chris coming off of Chris Cat 1. Which is a great album in my opinion. Too bad it was on a label that didn't really want to push it. Or Peter didn't get a, a, a great deal for this album. And you know it's funny for someone that is you know so high on themselves. You would think that. Mercury or well, Mercury no longer exists, but Universal or Sony or or someone like that would be, you know, knocking at his door to sell this. I mean, even Roadrunner put put Sonic Boom out. I, I don't remember who put Monster out, whether if it was self released or not. But um, Sonic Boom came out on Roadrunner. Outside of the states, I don't remember who released it within the states. If it was Universal or not, but if you're so big, so popular, why didn't these people come running back? Or even Rhino, Rhino is reissuing all these, you know, all these old discs. Why didn't Rhino come back and say, "Shit, you know, Peter's put a book out. Let's let's reissue his solo. Let's reissue his solo work." You know, to get it out there because I'm sure it'll sell and a lot of people want to hear it. Right. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) people are going to think that I just hate Peter. Anyway, let's, before I dig myself into a deeper hole and there's enough of me commenting on Peter in the next few segments that uh, we'll leave you with the truth coming off of Chris Cat 1. Against the 
All right. So for those saying that I absolutely hate Peter Chris, you got a double shot of Peter Chris there, Strange Ways, and you got the truth off of Chris Cat One. So there are a few people out there saying, "Oh no, you you hate him, and you know um, you don't appreciate what he did in the band, and this and that." And I have various opinions on Peter Chris, but there you go. I I love the music that he played on. Anyway. On the phone, we have with us from Nashville, straight from the Decibel Geek podcast, Chris Zimzak. Chris, how are you? Good, man. You almost got it right. It's Sinzak. <laughs> Simzak. Yeah. See, I'm trying to do my Aaron Camaro um, accent, and obviously I wasn't able to pull it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got to be from Wisconsin and have a couple of beers in you to pull that off. <laughs> Is that the secret? That's the secret to the uh, the great Aaron Camaro's voice. You gotta I hope be he's listening in tonight. Good. Aaron, have a good uh, Friday evening, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the, the, the kiss nuttiness. I, I saw that you posted earlier on Facebook um, about people trying to stay or trying to stay sort of civil with this whole um, – with this whole ordeal that that's going on with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, let me ask you this: Do you think that what's going on is either orchestrated by the band or maybe the Rock Hall to get people talking, and in the end, say, you know what, they're going to play, or we'll induct everyone, but in the meantime, let's drive people nuts and and make sure that we can talk this up as much as possible. If that's the case, it's a stroke of brilliance, but I no, sadly and unfortunately, I don't think it's a staged thing. Um, this whole situation with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has just brought out the worst in all parties involved, in my opinion. I, you know, it just, and it also blows me away. It's like that Kiss has turned into a, in my own world, where, you know, on like when I'm on Facebook, the two things I will never pretty much discuss on Facebook or in social media at all is religion or politics because it's there's no right. there is no winning argument. All you're going to do right. is wind up hating people that you like. Well, Kiss is <laughs> since this whole situation reared its head, Kiss is starting to turn into one of those topics. And that really breaks my heart because right. anyone who's on my friends list on Facebook knows that I will post at least two or three Kiss pictures a day. And I, much to the chagrin of most of my family, my kids are, quit posting kiss pictures. But um, that's beside the point. <laughs> but it's like I'm actually avoiding kiss stuff like on message boards and stuff. And it's just like this is really sad, you know. And, you know, for something that we all professed, including the band, to be such a, such a non-big deal, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we sure are all making a big deal out of it now, aren't we? You know, it's uh, yeah. suddenly this is like, you know, the end of the world and the end all be all of everything. And it's just it makes me sick because um, you can have an opinion on something. And what I posted today that you referenced was it is possible to disagree with someone on their stance on whoever's wrong or who you think is wrong Um on this whole issue with kiss or the hall of fame or ace and Peter and their actions, it's is possible to disagree with somebody and not be a major ass to that person, you know, because right. there's, this is turning personal with people, not just with the band. I mean, like, you know, the, Paul and Gene and, and Ace and Peter, for that matter, have all done things where I've kind of scratched my head and go, man, that's not cool. I really don't like that. But 
even no matter whatever they've done, they don't deserve people basically making threats against them for one. Um, right. Yeah. There, there's been some really disgusting things posted on their Twitter pages and it's like, guys, these are, these are guys that wear makeup and play rock and roll on stage and blow things up. This is not life and death here. It's right. It's, it's not really worth getting that bent out of shape over. It's, and you know, and Paul and Jean can fight and Ace and Peter can fight their own fight. They don't need me or anyone else to defend them. And I'm also blown away by the whole um, division of, of factions. Like you're either a Paul and Jean guy or you're an Ace and Peter guy. Well, is it not is it not possible to like all of them? You know, I, I'm a fan of all right. four of these guys, and at the same time, all four of them have made asses out of themselves through all of this. Oh yeah, it's, and throughout the years. I mean, yeah. let let let's be honest. I mean, they've done as you've said a lot of head scratching things that. You know, that each one of them can be called out at one time or another due to, you know, just different shit that they've done. Yeah. And I mean, and I, you know, I guess I'm, you know, and it all is everything we say is based on speculation. None of us were in the meetings with the Hall of Famer. We don't know all the different machinations of what caused the decisions to be made. Because, you know, at first we were hearing that Paul and Gene wanted to do current band, not let Ace and Peter play. And that was it. And they were forcing Ace and Peter out. Well, so, of course, my initial response is, well, that kind of sucks because the the Hall of, you know, and really it boils down to me regardless. And then also then the next thing, you know, you hear Ace and Peter had demands that they wanted done before. And then they were the ones who held it up. So none of us really know who it was that held it up. In my opinion, I would my message to all four of them is drop whatever all this drama is and just get on stage and do a song or two together and be done with it. I mean, that that you know for anything just to put an end to the drama but you know at the same time they're not my band they're not your band they're, and those of you listening it's not your band either they can do what they want to do and if you're a fan and you're passionate about it that's great but at the same time it's guys that wear makeup playing rock and roll music and it's a silly award show and it's really not worth getting personal with people and you know hating on somebody because they have a different opinion than you do it's it's just not worth it. And I'm sorry I'm taking up all your airspace, but I just wanted to get on my soapbox for a minute since you're letting me come on. It's, uh, there's one point that I made yesterday to sort of bait some people mm-hmm. uh, with um, with how they look at who should get in and who shouldn't get in. And I asked, if Iron Maiden were to be nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who should get in? Right. And right. instantly... People were answering left and right. Everyone who recorded on the albums, everyone except for maybe this guy. I, I remember someone said, well, you know, Yannick Air shouldn't be involved because he really hasn't been that integral of a part within the band. And, and I rattled off. I said, well, actually, he's written 23 songs since he's been in the band or he's been involved in writing 23 songs. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, should he be in? Should he not be in? And, and you know, it was funny. In the end, I asked, okay, do you guys all have an opinion that everyone who was ever in Maiden, for the most part, should get in? Even Blaze Bailey, some people said. <laughs> but there are people that, that are adamant about only the original four getting in. And I, I don't understand that. I understand that you could be a fan when you were a kid. You grew up, uh, you were a fan of those four guys, 
And they were one of the biggest bands in the world at that time. I mean, without a doubt. Right. But you've often mentioned on your show how, and that's decibelgeek.com. Uh, Appreciate you've, <laughs> you've often mentioned how you became a fan during the Crazy Nights album. So there are a lot of people that grew up in the 80s that, you know, Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick were main components of KISS to them. Okay. So yeah. they helped keep the name alive, in my opinion, and they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame just as much as Ace and, and Peter do. Yeah, and, and, that's, he, and that, that's where I will absolutely agree with Paul because I remember he made he did an interview a few weeks ago and had alluded to, you know, the Grateful Dead's allowed to induct 12 people but we're allowed to induct four. How is that fair? And it, it quite honestly, it's not. But when has the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ever been fair? Um, you know, Especially KISS. Yeah, they don't, they don't want KISS in there, and I think they just inducted them this year to get everyone to leave them alone. Um, but... At the same time, you know, it's like it's their, it's their museum, and if they decide it's the original four, then that's their decision. You know, there's nothing Kiss can really do to change that. Obviously, Kiss is trying to call their bluff and say you induct us all, and I think it's admirable because, as you said, I got into Kiss in 1987. So um, Bruce and Eric Carr were my drummer and my lead guitarist for Kiss, and they were for a number of years after that. You know, after, as I got into the band, so. You know, I I think, you know, in my opinion, they should induct all of them. You know, I think it would be great. Um, but I think we're at a we're at a stalemate point where it's going to be interesting to see how these next few weeks play out because does the does the Hall of Fame, you know, fold now and say, "Well, you know, lo, let's let them come in and then we'll do the performance." Um, you know, it's really up in the air. I, you know, I'm starting to think that we're not going to have a performance at all, but as you said, maybe this is all a ruse to build to some big big thing on stage but i don't know it's just gotten out of control man and it's just ugh. it's just I, i'm i'm gonna i'm looking forward to when the whole thing's over and maybe we can get back to talking about other things you know talking about whether vinnie vincent saved kiss or not well that goes without saying he obviously saved kiss is is that your honest opinion on that <laughs> no i mean i <laughs> He played a huge role, and I think he is definitely underrated by a lot of people because of his behavior. And um, he, I, I honestly, and Creatures of the Night is my favorite Kiss album, my all-time favorite Kiss album. Mm-hmm. I do not think Vinnie Vincent saved Kiss. No, no, I. I I, I I think MTV saved Kiss personally. Yeah, well, there's and you, there's in my there's not one thing that saved Kiss. It's a whole it was a whole lot of things, and that era is a special era because they put out great material with Creatures and with Lick It Up and Lick It Up. You know, the main songwriter of that album was Vinny and his. But huh? Not 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 to cut you off, but Animalize sold more albums than Lick It Up did. It did. It, it, Yes, it did. Yeah. I was looking this up yesterday to sort of be able to uh, counteract the whole, well, Mark St. John shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Well, actually, he sold more albums than Vinny did right. while he was in the band. Yeah, and that's where MTV plays in because MTV played the hell out of Heavens on Fire. Um, there you go. And that helped, sell, that helped animalize sales. I'm just speaking as a diehard Kiss fan. 
I think the material on Lick It Up is much stronger than on Animalize, but that's my opinion, you know. Um, Without a doubt, I'm not, I can't argue that at all. So I'm I'm giving Vinny credence in that level, but also at the same time, they took off the makeup. That was the big draw from that era of, I think, what saved them. They had no other choice at that point but to take off the makeup, you know. But, but did they have to take the makeup off for the music or because Gene wanted to get into acting? No, I don't think anything to it. Well, that's an interesting point. I never thought about it that way. But because if if you think of it, if the songwriting was so strong and so many bands at that point in time, it's funny. Kiss is the only band that really got praised by um, two sort of waves of music. You had the glam bands that absolutely loved Kiss and talked them up. And you had a lot of grunge bands that actually um, said that, you know, the first few Kiss albums were what influenced them to get into um, into what they were doing. Uh, Nickelback wasn't one of them, so we can <laughs> put them aside, although Gene does appear in one of their videos. Oh, thank but, you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's... That's the thing, and I think you touch on another interesting point there. There are so many facets, so many different things that made KISS special that kept them alive, too. I don't think it was just, you know, the, the, the original four. And um, also, here's the thing. I love Ace to Death, but Peter with his book... I grew up idolizing Peter. I have a Pearl drum set because of Peter. I started playing drums because of Peter, but I lost all respect for Peter after reading that book. Yeah, the, the, he was he made some uh, bad decisions in what he decided to air out in that book for sure. Air out or embellish? You guys had Lydia Chris on who basically said he was full of shit with, you know, 99% of what he says within the book. Um also she's someone that was you know, obviously uh, divorced from him so she could have a, a slanted opinion. But um, the thing is, he talks himself up. It's funny that I keep going back to a few different things in the book. He calls Joey Kramer from Aerosmith an asshole, who's basically his, his age mm-hmm. and can still play his own parts, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Peter really can't. And for as much as Peter plays himself up and saying how you know, um, uh, Paul kept him back and, you know, he was fucking with him, you know, during the farewell tour and this and that to uh, slow the the, uh, the tempo of the songs down and speed him up and, and, and all these various things. Well, you know, if this is the case, if he's on the pedestal that he's placed himself on in his book, why hasn't he really done anything since outside of a, a CD that, didn't connect with any of his fan base. Right. And the book would make you think that he's selling out Madison Square Garden every 8 to 12 months. Yeah. <laughs> he's not? No. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, well, there, you got to... The, 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 this is the thing that I've, you know, as I've learned from doing my show um, and talking to all these people that have worked and known Kiss and been in close quarters with Kiss... The, it's one of those be careful what you wish for things because, you know, I grew up thinking all these guys lived in the same house and got along right. awesome and were just superheroes that could do no wrong. And 
you know, and, and in some ways I wish I could go back to that, but, um, also at the same time, when you're passionate, you want to know every little detail there is to know about somebody. And, um, um, the thing there's 99% of music fans that do think that, and that surprises me, you know, they still think that, um, and not even kiss. They think that the littlest band is, you know, David Lee Roth in the back of a stretch limo with a hot tub, right. you know? Yeah. Well, the thing with, like you said, with Peter and the way he talks in his book, they're all, you know, and I, you know, and I guess I'm kind of an ace guy, but I'll, I will say, I think ace has come out looking the best through all of this drama. Um, he did appear on Eddie Trunk's show and he was kind of the first person to say something about this, but I didn't really, I didn't really view it as, being that controversial what he said because it was going to come out anyway but um right but all four of them are guilty of kind of being delusional or that yeah they the the term the high road does not exist in any of their category any of their vocabularies you know it's paul and gene have not done themselves any favors on twitter with this stuff there's numerous times they could have taken the high road and they haven't um, I know they're getting hit from all corners from fans on there. But that's also another one to be careful what you wish for with social media. Um, right. You know, Victor, you do a show. I do a show. We know we, we don't always get the greatest feedback from people on what we say either. Um, but at the same time, like if you're Gene or Paul, you've got all this money, all this fame. And or if you're Ace and Peter and like Peter with his book, you, you it, there's ways of being truthful without basically just slamming the hell out of somebody and that slamming everybody not just you know yeah. uh for as much as he's always talked about it's been him and ace against paul and and gene he really throws ace under the bus in that book you know every chance he gets calls him lazy yeah. has the whole you know oral sex thing that he talks about well you know there's the the nazi thing i mean yeah there's <laughs> there's that and but the, you know they're all guilty of this though victor i mean like right. you know gene's slag but how many interviews has gene and paul done where they've slagged the hell out of both of them you know well here's here's my opinion on that and and i think people are going to interpret this the wrong way at least i think on facebook they have here's the thing kiss is a business kiss is a brand it's owned by gene and paul so in the end, at the end of the day, they can do whatever they want. I think with a lot of these interviews, like with Monster, they start up, you know, um, talking, you know, we're, we're going to interview you guys about the album. Okay, first question. Um, when are Ace and Peter coming back? Okay, so the first time that comes up, all right, fine. But when you're doing, you know... 20 interviews a day and the first 12 interviews start out that way. I mean, I can understand why they're getting pissed off at that. Second of all, being businessmen and making the money that they've made and have all these outside ventures and whatnot, they're really, um, how could I say this? They, They really did not conduct themselves well, or they do not conduct themselves well when... Talking about, uh, you know, Ace and Peter, instead of slagging them and saying, well, they're a cancer and they're this and they're that, talk up who you have in the band, you know. Mm -hmm. Say, Mm -hmm. you know, well, you know, they were great and this and that, but we have Tommy and we have Eric in the band. Eric's been one of the most in-demand studio musicians of the last 30 years, and we're lucky enough to have him in the band 
you know, um, playing all the same parts like Peter did, you know, without missing a beat, playing what Eric Carr did and playing his own stuff, you know. Right. Uh, same deal with Tommy, you know. It's not as if they they took, you know, two guys from a cover band in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and all of a sudden plugged them into, uh, you know, the makeup and threw them up on stage and, and that these guys are hacks. These guys are total professionals, you know. Sure. Uh, if not, Tommy wouldn't have a Les Paul model, <laughs> you know. Gibson would not go out, you know, on a limb and just say, oh, well, you know what, he's, he's in Kiss, so let's – Let's give him his own model. Shit, Vinnie Vincent can't get a big company to do that for him. So, no, I don't <laughs> even get me started on the whole signature guitar thing with him. I know more than I even should on that subject. Yeah, I know. I've tried to pull your um, strings on that a few times, and you've been smart enough to um, cut me off rather quickly. Well, all I'll say is there may be a future Decibel Geek episode that uh, deals heavily with that, but I... But I'm not sure yet. I'm not 100 percent sure. But uh, yeah, there is yeah, there's some crazy int- interesting stories that go behind that. I, I I could imagine, and and that's the thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, uh, have said to me again on Facebook this week. Well, you know, you're only going off of what Gene and Paul have said, and and you know, w- with regards to Vinny, I don't think Gene and Paul had anything to do with that guitar Mageddon box set or these eighty dollar t-shirts or again the signature guitars so yeah there's uh, a, that's a, a whole pandora's box that's worth an hour of discussion on its own you know it's um but yeah with, with going back to the thing with you know how these guys talk about each other in the press you know speaking just as a fan i got into this band when i was like 11 years old and um I don't know. We all fell in love with different lineups of this band. And whenever we fell in love with this band, we fell in love with all four of them. And what irritates me now is to see all this trash talk, whether it's Gene, Paul, Ace, or Peter. Um, it doesn't do anything to prop them up and make them look better. All it does is it feels like mom and dad are fighting and I wish they would stop. <laughs> right. And that's really, I mean, to, as a fan, that's what it boils down to. Because then look at all this discontent it's stirred up. And. It's just, I don't know. I never thought at the, you know, we'd be selling. I thought this is the 40th anniversary of the band that we love. They're going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Kiss Army couldn't hate each other more than they already do. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I'll be happy when this whole thing is over and we can just move on from it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. One thing I do want to say, uh, really love the interview you guys did with Gary Corbett. I do think that there's one thing that he was totally unfair with regarding what he said. Okay, what is that? His critique of Bruce Kulick. Yeah, I had I took issue with that myself. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean it's cool that, you know, Gary's playing with Cinderella and playing with whoever else he's played with before and afterwards, but I don't know. Bruce is a great guy. Um, Bruce has been nothing but nice to me when I've spoken to him on numerous occasions. Oh, same here. He's uh, totally great to us. Gets along great with Ace. Um, and the guy's a pro. I mean, he was he understood his his role in the band. He didn't want to make waves. Yeah. Eric did because Eric had different reasons. And it's interesting because he... 
He keeps referencing the during the interview the book that Greg Prado did, the Eric Carr story. Right. And yeah. I wish that he would have read past what um, uh, Eric's uh, a girlfriend had mentioned because there's a lot of other interesting things that that do come up. Um, I don't know. And in the end, you've mentioned this a bunch of times. Mark Striegel mentions this to me all the time. We will never know the truth regarding what really happened with Eric Carr, with the original lineup, or with anything else that's gone on with the history of the band. Yeah. Because none of us were, act- were, were ever there. We can throw our opinions out there, but it's all speculation at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, with, with I will just real quickly, with Gary, um, you know, and you're right, we will never know the truth because... Um, and no one really will because everyone's truth about something like this, even the ones that were involved, is going to be different. It's going to be skewed to what their experience was, you know. Um, Absolutely. Gary was hearing everything from Eric's side. He was not talking that much to the to Paul and or he was he was he decided he was going to take Eric's side on this because he was his best friend, and there, you know that's obviously an honorable and admirable thing that he did. And I, you know, I give Gary all the credit in the world for sticking by Eric through a very horrible time. And um, he did a lot for Eric's family. And, you know, I'm sure they're indebted to him for that. But at the same time, you know, he had bad experiences while working with the band. And I, and I, I can only taint a person's perspective on things. And I'm not calling him a liar or saying he said anything false. Um, I think that, like I said, that's that's the truth to his, you know, perspective of things. Um, right. But yeah, all this stuff, you know, Gene's, Gene's side of this is his side of it. Paul's side of it. This is a case where there's four sides to every story. You know, it's, that's just, right. that's the truth of the matter. And, um, it's one of those things, like I said, it's, it's, poli- now it's, it's turned into politics, religion, and kiss that you have to stay away from talking about on Facebook. Right. <laughs> that really, I never thought I would say that, but it's getting to that point. No, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, Chris, where can people find the Decibel Geek podcast? Well, we uh, we put out a show every week. Where uh, our biggest source of uh, downloads is uh, iTunes. You just go to the iTunes store, look for Decibel Geek, and you'll find us. And uh, we put out a show every Monday, and uh, got plenty planned for this year. Uh, you can also just go to the website decibelgeek.com. And uh, if uh, those of you listening live, if you hear, you know, the I'll give you a sneak peek. Next week's episode is a uh, full-on discussion of the Judas Priest catalog with Tim from Brave Words joining us. Ah, awesome! So yeah, it'll be it's a lot of fun. Uh, will Will you be discussing the Ripper years? Yes, we will. And um, if you're a fan of those years, you may not be happy with me after it's over. <laughs> it's all I'm crossing. I'm crossing my arms as we speak, Chris. Uh, not a fan, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to, uh, give you, uh, to give you an idea of how big of a, of a Priest fan I am, though, my favorite album of Priest is Point of Entry, so go ahead and start hurling tomatoes at me. <laughs> uh, Point of Entry, I think, is the first thing that I got on vinyl by them. Oh, really? But, um, my favorite Priest album, did it for my classic album series, Painkiller, without a doubt. It is a great one, but yeah, yeah. Point of entry is my favorite, and I know some people will be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> so, Carrie King included. Oh, really? He's not a fan of that one. Oh yeah, yeah. He hates it. Uh, I'm not a big Slayer fan either, so go ahead and keep throwing hate at me. <laughs> so there, there you go. All right, Chris. Thanks for coming on. We're gonna jump into a little ace here with Insane. All right, thanks, man. 
Freely's Comet there with Insane off of Second Sighting. Up next, we're going to get into a track off of Paul's uh, first solo album. We're going to get into the track Move On. We're moving on from the name that we were using, which was Talking Metal Live. We're moving on from me personally, from my job. And it's just a fitting song to play. And after that, we're going to get into my chat with Mark Striegel. This originally all aired back on February 28th. So if you're missing out, if you're enjoying this, I should say, and you're missing Talking Metal Digital, please check us out. Once again, live365.com forward slash Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L, one, two, three, or just go to the homepage of marsattacksradio.com. And check out the player that we have right there. And yeah, we're going to get into Move On and jump right into the segment with Mark because it's about 40 minutes long. So I said the episode would be around an hour and a half. I lied. It's going to be around two hours long. So there you go. Never looked around Move on That's what you told me 
Good, I'm good, and I guess the big announcement is we're we're no longer going to call this Talking Metal Live. <laughs> so we're gonna, it's going to be a live show that's live on the stream, which is the Talking Metal digital stream, and it's gonna. I don't know what we're going to call it, Mark, Mark and Victor Friday nights or something. I, I'm not sure, but um, we're we're taking trying to take the next step with talking metal digital which the whole idea of talking metal digital is it's a network and and with with that network you're going to get the live stream which is what you're listening to now the live stream is on 24/7 there's music playing uh there's live shows on on uh on Friday nights for now maybe there'll be more live shows added in the future and then Talking Metal Digital is also a podcasting network, which includes the Talking Metal podcast, the Talking Rock podcast, which I, I just posted a new episode of that this week, Mars Attacks, which is Victor's podcast, and whatever you and I are doing right now is going to be, I guess, considered the fourth podcast on Talking Metal Digital, Victor. So we gotta we gotta think of some names for. I I, I mean I like something simple, just like the Friday Night Live, you know, uh, thing or something. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, actually, that's funny. Uh, Friday Night Live was a, was something that I was thinking about before. Well, what's Eddie Trunk's New York FM show? It's Friday Night Rocks, right? Friday Night Rocks, yeah. It's pretty similar to that, but you know, whatever. So, speaking of uh, Eddie Trunk, I, we heard the KISS uh, announcement, which John tipped us off to last week when he came on the live stream to tell us that Ace would be calling up into Eddie Trunk. Uh, I, I didn't make it to one thirty in the morning to hear it live. I had actually set my alarm to wake me up um, so I could listen to it live. However, when the alarm went off at one thirty, I simply just turned the alarm off and didn't turn on Eddie Trunk <laughs> live. Um, so what did you, what did you, I mean, I heard you talking with Chris and I think both you guys had a lot of, uh, good things to say and valid things. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the thing that I just don't think a lot of people get on this is, you know, I know a guy who's just like, He's he's I wouldn't call him a hardcore Kiss fan, but he's a Kiss fan, and he's just like so angry that they're not going to play together at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But but the thing the thing is this: this guy, everyone he's ever worked with, he's had a falling out with. And I, I said to him like a year ago, he may even be listening to this, uh, probably in the podcast form. But I said to him like a year ago, I'm going to a party. And the party was being thrown by his old boss, okay? And he was like, that fucking cocksucker prick. I'll never step in the fucking room with him again. Fucking idiot. And, and he was, like, mad that I was going to the party that his boss was throwing. His old boss, who, again, he had a falling out with. Uh, and 
he didn't, you know, he didn't want to go to the party. You know, it would have been a good party. It would have been a nice celebration. It would have been fun for him. And, and that's real life. You know, I, I, I get it. You don't, you know, there's, I, I, you don't want to go hang out, you know, at, at situations or, or places where, you know, where your, you know, ex-girlfriend is hanging out or some guy you once fucking got in a fight with is hanging out, is, you know, or, or some guy who, you know, hooked up with your ex-girlfriend is hanging out. You don't want, you know, it's just like, it's this, this is, this is reality. I, I, there's plenty of people I work with who I fucking hate to death. I don't, and, and, and you know what? I I don't want to go hang out with them. And it's just like, isn't that what this is kind of about? I mean, it's like, you know, Peter wrote a fucking scathing book, which Chris was right. I think he gave too much information. I think he, he was a little bitch in the book. It was a great read, by the way. But oh yeah, but I, I you know, I think I, I you know, the, Peter's the luckiest guy in the world that he fucking ever met Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons Absolutely. and Bill O'Coin for that matter. You know, he's he's fucking lucky because he 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 was wouldn't be anywhere if it weren't for those guys, in my opinion. You think he would have found another? set of guys like those three guys I just named who would have freaking carried him to superstardom. No, he was fucking lucky, you know? And absolutely. My, my brother, who's actually the person that turned me on to kiss. He's, um, he's five years older than I am, but he bailed on kiss after dynasty. And he has always said to me, whenever something like this comes up, uh, both, when they when Peter originally left, and then with the reunion tour, he's always had that same sort of, you know, attitude, saying that you know, this guy's like the luckiest guy in the world, and you know, each time that he's left Kiss, you know, some of the things that he's complained about just are not realistic. You know, the whole well, I was only making forty thousand dollars a night. Really? You yeah. Were and only- how many fucking shows did they play that year? Like at, at least two hundred shows. It's like you only yeah. made forty thousand. Okay, so he had bad deals. He probably had to give George Suet or whatever, you know, fifteen uh, percent uh, of that. Who who the fuck knows? But it's like it's like the guy is a fucking complainer. And then and then you know Eddie Trunk put something out. Well, shouldn't they have put Vinnie Vincent on the press release they listed? They left off him and Mark St. John. I would have done the same fucking thing. Vinnie Vincent tried to sue me numerous right. times. Somebody tried to sue me. Somebody tried to make my life miserable, uh, you know, affect me professionally and personally. Am I going to give them credit? Uh, you know, no. No, I've been in bands, man. I, I, I and, and, you know, on a far less successful level that's an understatement um (laughs) you know or overstatement i'm not sure but anyways uh you know and and i i I broke up with i i'm a captain t band matt pichelle on bass chris heaton on on freaking drums i broke that band up because of numerous little squabblings that were going on. We had freaking toured up and, uh, you know, all, all throughout the Northeast. We, we were fucking hell bent on making it. I, a lot of times I think I should have given it more time, but I broke it up and I never, that was, you know, those guys were like my, my brothers for like three years. I never spoke to them again. I, ne- I, I never spoke to them again. You know, it's like, it's like, and, and they attacked me on message boards and it was, it was messy. This is freaking, you know, 
2000, 2001. I don't even fucking remember. I think, and, and I never spoke with him again. You know, we were very tight. We made great music together. At least I think so, you know? And, uh, it's like, it's like, listen, do do you want to freaking go hang out with your ex-wife? You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't mean you personally, Victor, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like there's, there's reasons that, that this is difficult for Kiss and Blondie and Van Halen and Guns N' Roses. And, you know, those are the only ones I actually follow. I'm sure there's a lot of others, you know, David Bowie, you know, he, he, you know, he didn't show up either, you know, and it's like, you know, and the thing is with Paul Stanley, obviously the, the Peter and Ace thing is one thing and they were fighting, but there's more to the picture. It's like, fuck the rock and roll hall of fame, fucking assholes. These, this is a band that has spit on kiss. They're not a band, a bunch of dopes who have spit on kiss for 40 years. You know, these, this is the old, these, these old men on, on the board are the, the old New York press music press guard, you know, the hipsters, the fricking, you know, snobby fricking velvet underground lovers, you know, and nothing. I love the velvet underground too, too. And Lou Reed, but it's like, it's like these, these are the guys who have hated kiss and it almost feels like they're now giving in to kiss just so they can get, uh, somebody who might pull in some viewers. You know, there's a reason kiss is always on access TV and kiss concerts are on TV. It's because, you know, they, they put those on because people are channel flipping and stop and watch them, you know? Right. No, I, I agree with you and figure this. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the Barkley, um, center is going to be the largest place where they've ever had one of these induction ceremonies. So they actually, you know, they have to do something to fill that whole arena up. The other thing too, is all of those bands that you've mentioned, kiss Nirvana, they're all looking for drama to get people in and, you know, make a name for themselves. These are the same bums that put the, the Boston Bomber on the cover of their magazine just to sell cover, you know, just to sell issues. Good point. Uh, yeah. You know, um, with Nirvana, I mean, Nirvana was a was also voted in by the fans, uh, as Kiss was. To me, it's a very similar situation. Uh, they had Dave Grohl was the fourth drummer in the band. Bleach had two different drummers on on. Yeah, and album. isn't it twenty five years too? Like, like when did Nevermind come out? Has it been twenty five years? Um, or are they being voted in because they were a band? You know, they formed twenty eight years ago or something. You know, so I mean, the whole fact that Dave Grohl, which it's like, who else? Who the who? You know, okay, Chris Novoselic and you know Pat Smear played in them for what a, a year before at the very end, just because Kurt was so out of it, he couldn't handle the guitars anymore. But it's like, it's like. And quite frankly, they sounded fucking awesome when Pat joined, but much better than they had pre-Pat. But that's a whole other discussion. But it's just like, you know, they 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 are just sticking it to Kiss. And Kulik yeah. should have been, at the very least, Kulik and Eric Carr should have been uh, well welcomed into the Hall of Fame without any question from from the yeah. the the bums that run the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That Secondly, if Robert Trichulo from Metallica was allowed in, is this true? He was allowed in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah well, then there's no question. There's no question. Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer should both be allowed in, too. 
and quite frankly, with Eric Singer going all the way back to, you know, revenge and stuff, um, he he should he he should be allowed in too. So it's just like they don't like Kiss, and and I think the dealing with Ace and Peter is 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 part of it for Paul. And I think this is more a Paul thing than Gene thing. Personally, that's just you know Gene's the guy who came out and was like, yeah, gave an interview right away and and said, yeah, sure, we'll we'll play with them. I could see it happening for one night. And then I I bet you he got freaking reamed a new asshole after Paul Stanley. <laughs> read that interview because I don't think Paul was ever on board with it. I really don't. And I think part of it is because honestly, I think Gene's more of an easygoing guy and let, you know, let's things kind of, kind of roll off his shoulders. And I think Paul's very sensitive and holds possibly holds grudges. Yeah. I, I mentioned this in the podcast that I posted today. I, I see Gene a lot like, um, in uh, wrestling terminology, like Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon has been sued by Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and a bunch of big-name people that have worked for him. But in the end, if he can make money off of them, he's always welcomed them back. And I think Gene is more along those lines as well. I, I, I think, you know, and I think we all love Ace. I think that goes without saying. I think this has more to do with Ace, unfortunately, being, you know, grouped in as uh, guilty by association to Peter. That and it, Peter- it does. And I, I'll tell you a secret. I don't know if I, I should even make this public, but I'll, I'll say it here since uh, we're on the, the Talking Metal digital stream now, uh, or RSS as opposed to the Talking Metal RSS. Ace doesn't like being grouped in with Peter. He doesn't. Uh, and I can imagine because that book, you know, threw him under the bus how many different ways, you know? I mean, it's, I don't know, man. You you can't sit there and say, oh, well, it, you know, they treated us unfairly. Oh, yeah, by the way, Ace is a lazy bum. He performed oral sex on me, and he always, you know, ran around in Nazi paraphernalia. Yeah, you know? maybe he did. Isn't it? Isn't it kind of but, sketchy the way he writes it? Maybe. Yeah. Not yeah, exactly he, sure you know, what happened. It's very similar and, to the way Slash wrote that thing in his book. I forget exactly what the story is about jizzing on Stephen Adler, or maybe it was the other way around. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was discussing books the other day, uh, different, you know, because the Peter thing came up. In my opinion, I think Duff McKagan probably wrote the most honest book out of any book that I've read. Okay. Um, I I mean, at least it seems very believable. Uh, there may be a few things here and there with him training and this and that, but I don't know, whatever. Who knows? Um, now, is Paul Stanley mentioned in Duff's book? Because Paul said in some interview I read somewhere that he had actually read Duff's book and liked it. I don't remember. I do remember that... Um, that he's mentioned in Slash's book because yeah. he was supposed to uh, produce um, Appetite for Destruction, or he was one of the people that was um, possibly uh, thrown in there as a possible um, candidate to produce. Yeah. Yeah, he met with them, and he worked with them a little bit. There's even a clip somewhere on YouTube of, of Axel like, going off on, on Paul Stanley. Like Isn't vintage it? Axel. But anyways, back to Duff's book. So t- tell me about it. It was the most honest? I mean, I think it's out of 
I mean, when I read Slash's book, when I read Mustaine's book, it seemed like there was a lot of bullshit involved. You know, it was a lot of, you know, I'm so great. We were the biggest. We were this. I invented this. I did that. And to me, Duff's book was a little bit more about, you know, you know what? We came from the streets. We fought through this. You know, it, it sort of got into a lot of little nitty gritty and it didn't really go out of its way to, you know, like in Slash's book, he says, you know, in 1992, there wasn't a bigger band or, or Guns N' Roses 1992 is the biggest band of all time. And I'm thinking, really? More than the Rolling Stones or, you know, the Beatles or Metallica even? I don't know. It just is is sort of hard to swallow. I think with Duff's book, I think you sort of get a sense of, you know, a lot of the issues that he had growing up, a lot of stuff that he did later on in life to sort of improve his life. The whole um, him being the last person to speak to Kurt Cobain, uh, um, sort of urban legend that um, has been going on for a while as well. And I mean, I, I, I like the book. I mean, honestly, if I would have to say my favorite books out of any, um, you know, musician, the Lemmy book would be number one. Duff's would probably be two. And I really like um, Ozzy's book as well. Uh, yeah. You know. A lot of people have issues with um, thinking that Sharon had a part in the book, but no, Tony he, wrote that book with you know. I, I I mean I really Ozzy's assistant is named Tony, and he mentions right. him in the book a lot. I've met Tony numerous times; a, a very very nice guy, and uh, I, I really think Tony wrote a lot of that book. I think the only issue I ha- really had with that Ozzy book is. Um, the whole stuff about when Randy dies, I, I don't think is right. I, I think, uh, you know, Randy saying he was going to quit the band the night before he died or something. Uh, I think Rudy Sarzo's book probably is a more realistic version of what happened with that. Right. Which and, is also a book. Yeah. Uh, is also a great book. Rudy Sarzo's book off the rails. Uh, Rudy basically says that, um, you know, Randy had agreed to do the live record, the live record that became uh, the one they did with Gillis, you know, uh, where they just did the Sabbath covers. That was planned. Randy and Randy said he would do that. Um, Obviously, they just did Sabbath covers because Ozzy didn't want to release Randy music with somebody else playing it so soon after he died. But he had agreed to do that. And according to Rudy's book, I believe Rudy says he had agreed to do another studio record. Because I think when Ozzy was on the, or Rudy was on the, the uh, podcast, I think I asked him, had there been anything written for that, what would be third studio record with Randy? And, and I think Rudy said, no, um, nothing had been written or recorded for that it's even on like cassettes so but that's such a shame because that would have been such an amazing album not only because of you know um randy rhodes playing on there but i don't know i'm a big tommy aldridge fan and i think that would have just been insane having them two in the studio together plus rudy who's always been a great bass player as well yes yeah um so yeah i mean the 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 books are all Interesting. Uh, you know, my uh, my issue with a lot of these books that I, I don't like, the Stephen Piercy book, it was, it was especially guilty of this. They just tend to gloss over a lot of the details about 
like recording and, and, you know, we all love the music, you know, and I feel like the book publishers and book companies try to steer everybody away from that. And, and, you know, we get very little details on the actual records. I mean, Stephen Piercy's book, he, he mentions Warren D. Martini like twice in the book. I mean, there's more about Tawny Katane in, in Stephen Piercy's book than there is Warren D. Martini. You know, it's like, so, so I, I, I mean, I'm the type of guy I'd love to read a, a book about, you know, the production of those rat records and, and what went into making them and stuff. And, and you don't get that from Stephen Piercy's book. You know, it's, it's much like the way I almost feel like sometimes Martin Popoff goes too far with that stuff where he breaks everything down into such detail about the records. Right. But, but Martin does do a great job with, with focusing more on the music than the, the gossip, you know, although you get a little of that in Martin's books. Yeah. I, I agree. Now, I don't remember what book I read where I was just waiting to hear them or, or waiting to read. I know the Iomi book. Yeah, it's a good the Iomi book, book I, I, which I enjoyed. My all-time favorite Sabbath album, uh, similar to Creatures of the Night, is Dehumanizer by Black Sabbath. Not only because Dio is on it, uh, but just because of the drum sound on that album. And I was hoping that he would get into more detail with some of the albums that they recorded. And everything is, is like really, as you're saying, glossed over. Some of the stories were even, you know, uh, like the Bill Ward story, which is also in the Aussie book. So there were a few things that, you know, I was like, all right, well, these, you know, we've, uh, we've already read this one before. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's you know back to the, to the kiss stuff. You know, I, I I do think I'm interested in in reading Paul's book. Nikki Six, I guess, read it uh, an advanced copy and said that it's real honest and great read. And so pre-order did you? <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been thinking about pre-ordering it, although I haven't done that yet because I'm thinking I may go to one of the book signings. And this has happened to me with numerous books before. Like I'll buy the book. But then when you go to the book signing, they basically force you to buy a book there if you want to get. So I don't I don't want to end up with two copies of it, uh, which, again, there's numerous books where I've done that already. So uh, including the ace book, you know, um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to wait because I know he's doing a, a bunch of signings in the New York and New Jersey area. So so we'll see. We'll see. This is a question that I pose to. Uh, I posed this on Facebook sort of as a um, a trick question to sort of uh, hook people in and just to see how they uh, have double standards with bands. I mentioned it with Z-Man earlier, and I sort of mentioned it to uh, Chris as well. If Iron Maiden were to ever go into the Hall of Fame, who out of Maiden makes it in there? Do you include everyone who ever recorded on a Maiden album? They'll never go in the Hall of Fame, Maiden. But okay, in an, an imaginary world, uh, well, if, they, they 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 could because Rush, Kiss, and Nirvana were actually fan votes. That's how the three bands have gotten in. So since they're opening it up to, for fans to vote, and you are right. I mean, it. I'm sure they'll they'll skew it somehow. So. Who knows the 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 uh, Janet Jackson gets in before Maiden does, so 
Yeah, I mean, I, I say you just let them all in. You know, you let them all in. Uh, that's that's the way it should be. I don't know about Blaze, honestly. I know, you know, just that was kind of a low point. But I guess you let them all in. You can let Blaze in, sure. What the hell? Yeah. But you wrote more tracks than Deano did. Yeah, but well, okay. <laughs> I like I like I like a number that like Educated Fool's a good song. Did he write that? I don't think so. I think that's a Steve Harris solo one. I think that I think that's a Steve Harris track. He wrote he wrote what nine tracks while he was in the band. Yeah, Deano only did three, which surprised me. I would have figured that he was involved in more, but uh, Harris pretty much wrote the first two albums. I mean, Deano is was just a big part of the whole attitude on those first records. I mean, I, I think I, I think everybody gets voted in. I mean, you know, it's like Dennis Stratton, I guess. You know, I mean, that first Iron Maiden record was so good. How, how could you not include everybody that was involved with that? And um, Yannick, I think, should definitely be in. He's been such a big part of the band for a, a long time. You know, He's written. Three songs within the yeah. band. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's like, okay, Blaze wrote how many songs? Nine? Nine, yeah. Yeah, but those three that Deanna wrote probably sold 50 times more, if not more than that, probably 300 times more. Maybe even a thousand. Yeah, I, I, let me, let me, uh, I'm not looking this up, but it's Killers, I'll tell you right now. And, and you can, Killers? It's got to be Remember Tomorrow, right? Because that's written about, uh, those lyrics are about his granddad, Paul Diano's granddad. And what is the freaking third one? Um, I mean, I, I want to say Wrathchild, but I don't think that's right. Uh, no, because let's see, Killers. It's got to be off the first record. Because um, I, uh, fuck. What is the third one that Paul Diano wrote? I, uh, and uh, listen, I'm playing fair. I'm not looking it up. Uh, this is a guess running free. It's something off of Killers. I is it really? Know. Yes. It's got to be Wrath. Is it Wrathchild? All right, now I'm looking it up on Wikipedia, which I think you... Uh, 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 no, it's not. It's uh, The only song you wrote on Killers is is Killers. It's Killers. Yeah, the, okay. So I'm, my guess is running free, but um, yeah, he wrote... Yeah, running free, remember tomorrow... Yep, those are the three. So I was right. Wait, is that right? Or is it Phantom of the Opera? No, it's yeah, it's Running Free. Running Free, Remember Tomorrow, and Killers. It's funny, on those first two albums, as far as simplicity of lyrics go, with the exception of the song Iron Maiden, which is extremely simple, those three songs have some of the simplest lyrics. So it's interesting. They come from Deano, which simple is not bad. Simple is not bad, but you know this drama that's going on in Kiss. It goes on in all all the all these bands. I mean, you know, I I just watched this Eagles documentary and how they fired Don Felder in the in the you know after they got back together. Whenever they fired him, I don't know, late nineties or early two thousands. I mean, like it's just like so much freaking drama in all these bands, man. So I mean, Kiss is no exception, obviously, and and it's just that we all have such a passionate uh feeling about kiss but uh you know it was funny what chris said about you know you don't want to mention religion politics and and now almost kiss is falling into that that's a brilliant you know quote from chris because he's right you know it's like 
you know, I, I see so many people on, on Facebook and so many different forums arguing stuff back and forth. Right. And it's only because, you know, you have passionate and, and strong thoughts. And, and it, in the end, if you didn't give a fucking shit about Kiss, you wouldn't even be commenting at all. So it's it's Absolutely. all of it, the good and the bad is is all, uh, you know, testimony to how how great a band Kiss is, because we all care so much about Kiss and what they've put out that we're willing to go on there and argue with our friends and argue with strangers and and get all worked up and hot and sweaty over a stupid rock and roll band. You know, it's like, you know, (laughs) if Kiss doesn't play, what what band do you think should go up there and similar to what Metallica did with Sabbath, who would you want to go up there and represent Kiss? Oh, I don't know if I this is what I would do if I were Ace. Just because I like Ace and I don't really like Peter that much, but if I were Ace, I would freaking take over the whole thing. I'd get Eddie Vedder, you know, Ace and Eddie Vedder are good friends, and and get right. Pearl Jam to back him up and and do another All Star Jam like he did at the VH1 right. Rock Honors, um, which incidentally, you know, Eddie Trunk talks about how Paul and Gene hate him and he doesn't know why, and he said, I mean, it, that's where it started, Eddie basically helped orchestrate that kiss tribute, or at least I don't know if he orchestrated the kiss tribute, but he orchestrated getting ACE to play with zombie Tommy Lee and Scotty and, and who else? There's one other guy. Slash. Slash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he orchestrated getting ACE involved in that. And Paul, Paul, Paul knew that. And so did Gene, I'm sure. And, and that's where his falling out with the kiss camp started. That's always been such a weird thing. I mean, like everything else, and you've mentioned it a bunch of times, I think we'll never get down to the, you know, the absolute truth. Because I know that Eddie talks about the whole um, running he had with Paul at the Short Hills Mall at an art exhibit. Yeah, I wish I would have been at that. <laughs> that's that's pretty close to you. Oh, it's at. miles from where I live. I don't know what year that was. I don't know if I, how, I mean, how long ago was that? I was living in Spain, and I right. heard, so I've been here for about 10 years. Because he did two exhibits at the Short Hills Mall. He's been, he's been there twice. Um, but, yeah, so I guess I was living here. I haven't been to either one of them. Um, but the Short Hills Mall is literally, you know, three, four miles from my house. Right. So, I don't know. I remember just listening to the story the first time, and, you know, I referenced this, the, the, the last... Um, episode we did with the whole uh Chappelle and the uh um Rick James skit. I mean ha- having a Paul Stanley skit done similar to that. I mean, I just I don't know, that that would be like the most brilliant thing. I mean, I I don't know if you've ever heard, but Frank Bello and Charlie Benante where Frank is doing the interview in a Paul Stanley voice. And it is just ridiculous. I mean, I was literally we we were we were flying to the states i remember and i had downloaded that and a few talking metal um episodes and uh and i listened to that and i just started laughing hysterically on the plane just hearing him just nail paul's voice and just say all types of stupid shit in paul's voice you know so right that would be to me that as another another thing that could have pissed him off right Another thing that could have pissed him off as yeah, well. Yeah, I think that's... there's probably been numerous things, but I really do think it started with 
with that thing uh, in Vegas. Probably right. I mean, that's the biggest sort of thing because they ended up taking pictures with him and everything, and it was all over the place. And Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, I do think that they, they had, and, you know, even on the Decibel Geek podcast when they interviewed Gary Corbett, a little of this came across that, you know, I, I, I do think that Paul and Gene had fond feelings of Ace up, yeah. up before the 96 reunion tour. And I mean, there's numerous uh, bits of evidence that support that, including um, them showing up at a Fraley's Comet gig and, you know, and talk from Gary Corbett saying that there was even a mention of doing a reunion with Eric in the Fox yeah. makeup and, and, and bringing Ace back and you know, who knows if it was serious talk or, or whatever, but you know, so, right. so I do think they had, and the way, and I think Gary Corbett actually said in that interview that, uh, they, um, always, when they spoke about ACE, it was, it was more positive than when they would right. talk about Peter. Yeah. There so. was more groaning going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Interesting stuff. So here we go. A little Wendy O. Williams coming off of the WOW album. This is Ain't None of Your Business with all the kiss connections involved. Oh! 
Wendy O. Williams, it's weird because that's technically a Wendy O. Williams album. Right. But on iTunes, it's listed as a Plasmatics album. Yeah, that's wrong. It's not. Yeah. So, um, a great album that Talking Metal turned me on to. I remember having that in my hands as a kid on vinyl, but never really investigating it. And then you guys played um, one of the tracks that Ace played on. And that made me, you know, go back and investigate the album and then realize, you know, how much of a Kiss influence the, the album had. And, you know, you can tell that on the track that I played there, Ain't None of Your Business, um, Vinny's playing the solo. I mean, yeah, Vinny plays on two tracks. He's not listed as playing on them, but, I mean, the soloing style and just his overall sound, right. you can tell it's him. Yeah, which who knows if he played on it, like knowing that it was her going to be her song, or if it was just like Gene just took the. It was like a Kiss song that they had demoed or something. Who knows? Who knows what the deal is? I tell you, you know what album's good that no everyone always talks about the Wow record, which was a 1984 release. Uh, of right. of course, uh, you know, with the Kiss guys uh, produced by Gene Simmons, but the the album after that. No one talks about very much. Commander of Chaos, uh, technically her last solo record. I think there was some sort of collection that came out after that in like 88. But um, I don't know. I can't remember what that was. I don't think it was a real um, rock record. I think she was trying to do something different musically if if i'm correct I, I don't know i might be wrong about that but the commander of chaos record is just a great great record and people just don't talk about it much and i, I highly recommend that record a lot of really really good songs on that record uh rob swineson was the producer who was her longtime partner who kind of orchestrated her career and some people have criticized rod for actually you know claiming he he was more the puppet master behind her and i actually spoke with rod on the phone back probably like 1999 i did a package on wendy for vh1's most shocking moments and he 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 was interesting guy to talk to and the internet was just coming around you know starting to get big at that point and he told me that already you know fake things that had been said about Wendy were becoming part of her history and people, you know, because of the internet, you know, he was like, you know, and, and he went on to explain, he was like a real, like almost like a, he wasn't like a dumb rocker guy. He seemed like a, like a Ivy leaguer or something. But he, he, he went on to talk to me about how history has been, been greatly altered. And the history that we learn is not the real history because, you know history is 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 tweaked and manipulated by people and the history that we know is not the real history and he and he'd seen it done with 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 Wendy and that's why he uh, who who had really i think at that time had was was only dead like a year or two when i was talking to him and he wanted me to uh, make sure that i told the story correctly and he was he contacted me after the story 
aired on VH1 and told me that he was very happy with it, which which made me happy. And uh, yeah, but I can't remember how you pronounce his name. Rod Swainson, Swainson. But but look him up. He's a he's a real interesting guy, and a lot of people again feel he kind of orchestrated the whole plasmatics and Wendy O. Williams uh, thing. I'd love to get him on the podcast, but I have no idea how to get in contact with him. So people are seeing him like a Kim Fowley type of a deal? Yeah. Yep. Who is that? Malcolm McClear with the Sex Pistols. Right, right, right. One night in Bangkok. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But, yeah, anyways, dude, I'm fried. I'm going to get going here. I, I like, uh, working two jobs. I'm doing, uh, working at True TV, doing the promos for Impractical Jokers, which is a pretty funny show, actually. And then I just, uh, I shouldn't have taken it on, but it's good money, so I took on a second job. I was just hired to do some uh, Joan Joan Rivers promos for Joan Knows Best, so uh, I'm in a little over my head, and then I'm trying to, you know, still get the Talking Metal podcast done for uh, every Tuesday, of course, so um, just a little fried right now. You're trying to catch up to John with the amount of jobs? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm actually just, you know. (laughs) It's um, it's hard to, until the until the money starts coming in on the podcast. This is what we got to do. We got to work. Yeah. So no jacuzzis in the back of the limos with David Lee Roth. Not yet. No. Nope. We'll just have to keep photoshopping those images in there. Yes. Just like they photoshopped Vince Neil's hair on the first. Uh, it was pre Photoshop, so I don't know what they did. They added in Vince Neil's hair on the uh, first Motley Crew record. My brother, who's a photographer, actually used the or was a like amateur photographer used to always uh when i'd bring you know circus home or whatever he'd always sit through look through it and say oh well this has been touched up here they colored this here they did that so he could actually like pick out like free photoshop you know where they were altering stuff so well, i go, was here look at, at the yeah pre-photoshop you know 1982 whatever it was 83 yeah. 82 i think the first motley crew record 80 yeah, 82, I guess. Uh, 81. They, 81, yeah, 81 maybe. Yeah, they added Vince Neil's hair on to the, the picture. If, and it's very obvious. It's very obvious. He talks about it in his book. I, I, I don't even remember that. Was, would he have a... Uh... Big, massive, massive high head of hair that looks like it was just pasted on. That, that wasn't the last time we saw it. He's obviously played with Steve Stevens, and we all know about the, the Russian-like uh, wigs that Vinny was wearing as well. So Michelangelo Badio, too. Yeah, wow. Don Dockin. I've seen Don's up close. Uh, well, I, I have a story similar to this, and, and we'll end it with this because I think we're both dragging. Uh, um, and I've, I've, I think I've told this before. We're sitting in Charles de Gaulle Airport waiting for a connecting flight from... Paris here in Spain and I'm sitting I'm sitting there with my wife I don't think we were married yet and I'm looking up at the escalator fucking bored out of my mind and I'm saying that looks like Rudolph Schenker what would Rudolph Schenker right. be doing here and then, that's Matthias Jabs that's Klaus Meine that's you know their new bass player that's Richie Kotak and my wife's like are you are you sure yeah that's the fucking Scorpions Right. And uh, and they come down the stairs, and so my wife flashes Richie Kotak the horns, and he turns around, and he's like, rock on, metal, or, you know, whatever. He says something. And, you know, so that was cool. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait, these guys have to go through customs now. 
So they make them all like take all the paraphernalia off that right. they have on. And holy shit, uh, <laughs> it was not a pretty sight. We took off the wig. No, no, no one had a wig on, but oh. like uh, M- Matthias had like it, it was sad. It was like a bird. It was like just like two very long pieces of oh, hair, right. like, like hanging down, you know. And uh, Klaus had nothing, yeah. you know. So, if, so if he's on stage with any sort of hair, he's you know that's that's glued onto the bottom of the hat somehow, but uh, right. I, I don't know. It was just so surreal. Uh, the, I mean, the wig. I'm assuming Rudolph, <laughs> because his hair is always so perfect. He didn't take it off. The other guys did. Yeah. So. No, I don't think Rudolph has a wig, but who knows? You think? No, I don't think. I don't think. All right, dude. But I'm gonna I'm gonna check out here. But good talking with you. Absolutely. We got to come up with a name then. Yeah. What do you got to take us out here? Let's do a little Union covering Kiss, the Kiss track Jungle Live with uh, Bruce Kulick doing an extended solo. Cool. Off of Carnival of Souls originally. uh, Off of Carnival of Souls, an album that many people think is just a Bruce album. Even Even Eric Singer will say it. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, Here we go. Jungle. Something from Carnival Souls. This is called the Jungle, baby!
Thank you for listening to Mars Attacks. To follow the radio show and podcast, like us on Facebook by going to Facebook forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. You'll find us on Twitter also. Follow us at Mars Aries 2005. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, or just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to download or stream episodes. Or you can just go to the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more about the radio show and podcast. This concludes our show.